0: Hi, I'm Mary Pat, a compulsive eater and bulimic. Hi, Mary Pat. Um, I'm really grateful to be here. This is my very first meeting in person after two years. Ago. So this is like really like wow. So anyway, really excited to be here. Um, I, uh, gosh, I just wish um, you know, higher powers in charge. Hopefully, someone will hear something they need to hear just, this program has changed my life, and um, it's changed my life by just continuing to show up, even when I didn't want to show up, and, you know, I'll get into it, but it's just, like, miracles are available here, and, and, you know, I was told that we come here when it's the last house on the block, and it was the last house on the block for me, I had tried, you know, therapy, I'd tried diets to control my weight, I'd tried so much, and um, and, and It was kicking food, was kicking my ass. And so, um, are we allowed to say words like that? No, sorry. It was kicking my patootie. And um, (laughs) I'll bleep that out. So, anywho, um, I came into the rooms. You know, it's it's actually kind of vague for me. It was, I think it was 1994. And so, my stats are, I... um, is that birds outside? Those are birds. Okay, that's not someone's phone. Okay, those are actual birds. Um, that's cute. Uh, anywho, uh, I was—I uh, 132 now. My top weight is 170. Um, it may have been higher than that, but I wasn't weighing myself when I was at my top weight. But um, I was a skinny—I yeah, was a thin child growing up. I was active. Um, Uh, But in in inventories that I did later, I could see I was a sugar addict through and through. Like, from five years old, going into my grandparents' house, uh, the one thing I wanted was the candy jar. It wasn't about Grandma, Grandpa, forget them. It was like, Mom, where's the candy jar? And, like, my grandma actually said something to my mom. Like, it hurt her feelings or something. But I was like, isn't that telling that at that young age? And, you know, holidays, um, Easter was like, it was all about a basket of Of sugar-filled things, and um, oh my god, it was heaven for me, you know, and I would eat it all, you know, in like lickety-split, it was all about eating it fast, and, but I think just because I'm, you know, I'm a tall person, and uh, because I was so active, it didn't show up as a a problem, you know, in my um, early, early childhood, and then 11, 12, 13, where it started to be a problem for me, and um, it's really interesting how it just was. It's my disease thinking began in earnest. Um, my dad's an alcoholic, uh, so we have alcoholism in, in the family. And I mentioned that because I have found that over the years, it seems like a lot of people um, have that commonality. Like there's something genetic about the alcoholism and compulsive eating. And but um, so I had that in my family, and my dad. I just. I think he tried AA, but it, I wasn't seeing it work for him. And I always I had this pride, like, I would never need a 12-step program. There was this area. I would never need that, you know. Um, I saw it as something weak that he did. I, I kind of despised him for it. Um he ended up leaving our family when I was 15. And I just, what is wrong with him? I thought we had the perfect family growing up. Um, My parents actually would like, would um, coach people at at our church and coach couples. And I thought we had this paragon of virtue, perfection family, and we were the coolest thing. And when our family just shattered everything I believed, you know, and Uh, I just felt like our family was the biggest fraud, and, you know, it was just, um, I had a, a rough time with that, and so I began eating in earnest, uh, in, like, I just remember 14, 13, 14, coming home from school, and just going to the sugar stuff that was in our cupboards, um, and, uh, and then, but I, we were told we had to eat dinner still, because the poor, starving children in China, uh, Somehow they were associated with the amount of food that I ate at dinner, but um, you know it just it was it was it began a pattern of disordered eating, and um, somewhere in high school a friend introduced me to the idea of like I just found out about bulimia I don't know how but so I was trying to control my weight because um, I had decided because I'm a tall woman. I decided that short women can have extra weight on them, and they're cute, you know. But a tall woman, that's like, I'm an Amazon, and I'll never get the guy that way. And it was always about, how am I going to get the guy? So, So I just decided it was intolerable for me to have any weight. So when my weight would start to creep up, I would kind of panic. And I think bulimia started to be just one more method to control it because I wanted the compulsive eating kicked in, I, I ate in quantity, um, and, uh, so anyway, and it was disgusted, I I never thought I would talk about bulimia publicly, and, um, I, I thought it was the most disgusting thing I'd ever heard about, and, uh, you know, it's, it, but it became a side disease of its own for me, so high school, I went, I went to college, um, I thought going, I kept thinking these little geographics would kind of cure things. And but my my first year in college is when it just the the compulsive eating, going to the dorm uh, room after everyone had finished the meal, hiding out, going to the snack machine, shoving stuff in my pockets, um, eating them in the hallway. It was all about sneak eating. I I don't know what that's about but it was okay as long as no one was seeing me eat it and then hiding out in the bathroom until no one was there and then going in and then making myself sick and then coming out and just trying to it was like this total dissociated spidey life you know this I was like living this alternate life because the other part of Mary Pat that I was showing was the girl who went to classes, and I was getting good grades, and I was working at the TV station at college, and people, you know, saw me as someone they could count, count on, and it's like, it was really weird to have, to me, these two personas, and this one that was just the shame base that I couldn't tell anyone about, and then this other, so my after that first year in college, when it was just it was just kicking my butt and it was out of control, I told my mom, you know mom i 've got this problem I was in tears, and that 's when I started therapy and you know I, I had a sponsor when I came into the program finally, and he 's like everything worked for a while, so you know things would work for a while and um but then invariably it's like just like in the book Alcoholics Anonymous that is so much. Tells a story of my disease with food. Invariably, the day came when I would just start compulsive eating again. So um, this this pattern persisted through college. I graduated from college, moved back home. Uh, same thing. I I got a job, but then I very shortly moved to California, and I thought when I moved to California, I won't taint any California toilets. With getting sick, so that's going to solve. It's going to be brand new start, you know. And it was like two, three weeks before, boom, that that compulsion to eat took over. And before I knew it, I was I was back in the mega eating food. And then for me, once I was just binging so much, and the weight was coming on, then the getting sick would start again. So um, this uh, that pattern of on-off, and then, you know, then try a diet that would work for a while, but then, boom, kicking my ass again. Um, this went on for 10 years, and um, on and off. And the what brought me into the rooms was, and I think I'd heard about OA, I, um, against, I I think I was vaguely aware, but again, it was like, I will never need a 12 step program. You know, I was going to lick it myself because I had done the landmark forum. I had done, you know, the power of positive thinking. I'm like, I believed this stuff, you know, we were powerful beings. And, and yet, and yet I was still compulsive eating and it was, you know, and I just couldn't lick it. So the little story that got me into the rooms was I was working at this lady's house, and uh, I was temping because I was trying to write the all-American screenplay. And uh, chasing my dream, you know, I thought, that's what it's all about. And um, she, when I initially started, she's like, Mary Pat, you know, help yourself to the kitchen. You know, it's <laughs> my house, is your house, it's great. Well, I would do that old, you know, go into her kitchen, take out a few things out of a, a box or whatever. But then once I did that enough times and I'd decide I'd gotten too much, I'd go to the store, buy it, try and take out the exact amount. I'd, I mean, it's like this crazy, insane pattern. And, uh, <laughs> but the clincher was, this was so humiliating at the time, but I think it's kind of funny now. But uh, she had made chocolate chip cookies for her side. Are we allowed to mention food? Okay. she made these chocolate cookies for her son, and these were like my, oh, you know, and there was no such thing as two, four cookies. No, you know, for me, twelve, eighteen, that was like a, you know, that was a serving of cookies, and um, so I ate quite a bit of her cookies that she had baked, and I came in the next day, and she said, Mary Pat, I had to explain to my four-year-old son why. I didn't have enough cookies to take to his class. And I was so humiliated. And she's like, you know what? She's like, I have to say the kitchen's off limits to you. And I just (laughs) died inside. I was so ashamed and so embarrassed. And at this time, I'll also say, like, the bulimia wasn't working. Like, uh, everything had stopped working. My throat was hurting. I just... I was at a low, low, I was, had reached that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization thing with the eating, and it's just such a, um, just such a place of despair, but, um, and she told me, she's like, you know, there's a friend of mine, is she goes to Overeaters Anonymous, and it would be great for you, and you should call her, and I remember she was all smiley, and I'm like, I wanted to smack her on one (laughs) hand, you know, but on the other, there was that opening of willingness, so whatever bottom I was at at that moment, I took this person, the number I called them, went to my first meeting, it was in North Hollywood, and... I did not like OAN at oh, all. You know, I, I've heard some people tell their stories like, "Oh, I was at home the second I walked in." That is not my story. I'm like, don't you people understand? I have a busy, cool. I'm trying to be with the cool people. You are not cool here. But uh, it was like me. I was telling myself, you know, and uh, and I'm like, I just didn't want to sit in a dank room, you know, in a circle. It just was not what I wanted to do. But they said at that first meeting, try six meetings before you decide. And I thought, you know, that's really reasonable. Okay, I'll try six meetings. So, um, and then, you know, what happens? I don't know, but it's like... at, i was hearing something that was people sharing people who had lost weight who were keeping it up they had that je ne sais quoi that shining light in their eyes and so it was like an attractiveness that was like a, a whole body a whole person tra- attractiveness and um i remember like i loved the nine step promises like they used to read the nine step promises at the end of these meetings i was going to and um i i loved the promises they really they really kept me coming back i wanted what those nine step promises said and um what else um so like at some of these meetings like that meeting they like hey there's these morning meetings at the unitarian church in studio city 7:30 every morning And I'd go to a couple of those, and then invariably the people who had what I wanted said, well, when I was new, I went to a meeting a day. And I was like, oh, no, are you (laughs) kidding me? You know, I just wanted to do the least bit possible. Um, One a week was like, I thought that was good, but I wanted what they had. And they said, if you want what we have, you have to be willing to do what we did. So um, I got willing. I started going to a, a meeting every morning, that 7.30 morning meeting, and they said, you know, and they got a sponsor and started working the steps, I was like, okay, so, um, I got a, you know, I got a sponsor, and that was a, a, that was a path, um, you know, I mean, I went through a couple sponsors here and there, but, you know, to me, it, it, every, every sponsor thing it works, it does whatever it does for you. And I was just chuckling when on the, on the drive here, I was remembering um there was like this one gal who sponsored me, and you know i 'm reading some inventory to her, and all of a sudden I hear snoring on the other line <laughs> and i 'm like, oh my god she's she 's asleep, you know i call her name. she was out and but it 's like we 're humans, like we are all just humans doing the best we can. So um, that was another thing that was interesting too. I I remember the first meetings I went to. I thought, oh, the secretaries—they must just kind of be like professional people who've got it all together. Mm-hmm. Didn't occur to me like, no, we're all just struggling people on the path together, and we all take turns at these service opportunities. So that was like interesting. Um, I struggled, struggled, struggled uh, to get abstinent. I would just, I would, I just remember crying. Uh, showing up at meetings, you know why? Why isn't it working? And um, they'd say, you know, call, call before you eat, make a call. And I was like, ah, I can't. They're like I, I eat and then I call. You know, I eat and then I call. And um, all I know, and like this, is just you know, the day came one day when, and so. Backing up a second. So for me, again, because I was throwing up at the time, it was binge, throw up, um, you know, and then that was the pattern. And um, throw up multiple times a day. So that, the throwing up part had to be the first recovery for me. So um, the first miracle for me was when I binged and I just... This is like I don't know why this is so moving. Maybe it's my age, maybe it's hormones, but maybe I don't know. Maybe, but um I called. I called her. I don't know why, but I was laying on my bed and I said, Sandy, I just know I just binged, but I know if I get off this bed, I know I'm going straight to the toilet. I you know, and she talked to me and and I didn't I didn't go throw up. You know, and this it sounds like so like you know there's a part of it's like if anyone heard this it's like oh, who cares but i think compulsive eaters get it like this was monumental and i started stringing together days and i had to allow it's like part of like step 1 I'm powerless over food, that my life is unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. Part of this, the process of allowing my higher power to step in and do for me what I couldn't do for myself, which is what I was told like OA is about. These 12-step programs are about we have to find a higher power to help us because no human power... Can we leave this this crazy obsession and um, so it's like I had to decide in my head like, okay, if God wants me to be fat, I guess that's just the way it'll have to be. But I knew that the all part the surrender was t- just to not get sick. and so it, so the first abstinence was abstinence um, from bulimia. And that, and about when I was about eight months in, I was ready to get another sponsor to start working on food portion. And you know, the the pattern with food um, is for me. Uh, it, God, there's so much that you know. There's so many years, and but what I remember is I thought um, eating three meals a day I would have to gain weight. And in OA, I learned no, three meals a day is self care. Like, the disease is the one that didn't, like, don't eat in the morning. And then by 10 or 11, I was, like, binging anyway, you know. And it's, like, it's so scary to do these things. Like, eat eat breakfast, honey. You know, eat lunch. Eat. These things are so scary in the beginning. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need the phone lists. And we need, we can't do this alone. It's too scary. So um, I learned... What portion controls were, I? you know, there was, a, I don't weigh and measure my food now, but there were periods when I did. So I know, I learned, what does four ounces look like? Um, I went through periods where I'd, like, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. It's, like, total fear, right? And then I'd eat, and it's, like, it was enough, you know. Um, learning how to, per, uh, like, take three deep breaths before I took the first bite. So much of my disease is just like fast eating. It's fast one to eat. Scarf, scarf, scarf. And um like just to, to take that pause and like they'd say, your higher powers in these pauses. And um and these things, like they sound so simple, but they were so monumental. And um and then when the when when the meal was over, sometimes I would experience this mourning, like this morning, it says it sounds crazy, but I just oh, I just wanted to keep eating, you know, and just learning you know making phone calls uh you know how however that happened so um the abstinence so I was abstinent from sugar for two years, and then it was total big book style, and in the big book, there's a story about the whiskey and the milk. And the guy, you know, just, I just had a little whiskey in my milk, and I'm probably okay. And I just had, I was on vacation in Arizona. I just had one little bite of a bar or something. I think it was like a health bar. No big deal. But then two weeks later, I had a whole bar. And then a week later, like, it, it's funny. Relapse doesn't come on like a train for me comes on really subtly. It sneaks up and it weaves in, but it all began with that first compulsive bite. So after like two years of abstinence from sugar, I was off and running and over a number of years, and I'm just going to, you know, short truncate this section to, again, there were periods where I would have abstinence. I could string it together and then the day would come when I was on a set at work or whatever, and I just gave in, you know. And i uh, still going to meetings, you know, working with sponsors, and, um, you know, and, and I just, I'm so grateful for the sponsorship I've had. Um, I've had sponsors that were really strong in AA, and in OA we used... The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the AA 12 and 12, and would change the word. So, uh, alcoholic would change it to compulsive eater, much like the reading that we read. And, um, you know, instead of alcohol, for me, I could change it to alcoholic food. You know, for me, I learned my, my alcohol is sugar, you know, whatever. Sometimes I would call it, like, you know, alcoholic behaviors, you know, um, But there was just a magic in the literature, in the AA literature, and I could identify so much, you know, changing the word. And I just want to say I was so grateful that the reading we read at the beginning of this meeting, we read it as adapted for Overeaters Anonymous because, and this is just my opinion, when I hear it read for the AA, there's a part of me that can keep it separate but when I change the word to overeater, and I was powerless over food, my life is unmanageable, it resonates on a much deeper level for me. So I just, for me, it's just, I'm very grateful when the word is changed. Um, it just helps helps up that identification. I hope that makes sense. But um, there was a poignant moment when in the beginning, um, jumping around a bit, but when I first read the big book... Um, I understood the alcoholic, and now I understood it because I was the alcoholic with food. Like I identified with the personality that's described. I identified with that inability to put it down. That you know, there, there, but there is a solution and everything that's written in it. And I, so I, it was a connection to my dad. So all of a sudden, I had compassion for this guy that I had. Been so angry at, you know, and I had appreciation like, oh, he wasn't this jerk with alcohol just because he was being a jerk. I got like, oh, he didn't like it at all, but he had the disease the same way. Like, I don't like being a compulsive eater, but same way the food controlled me. Like, that's how the alcohol was with him. And it was just this really sweet connection. And there was a couple years um where he was sober in AA and it was it was a really cool couple of years and we read you know daily reader and just to have that connection with him and I got to discover when my dad had his sober years um he he was a cool guy you know, there was a man that I just didn't know. He wasn't the arrogant guy that I remember growing up. So this is a byproduct of me being a compulsive eater. Because if I didn't have this disease myself, I never would have had this beautiful identification and then kind of offshoot relationship with my dad. So isn't that like a weird uh, silver lining gift of of being in the program? So um, for that, I can say, like, I'm grateful for being a compulsive eater. Um all right, so then, so about eight years, you know, they just say, don't leave before the miracle happens. I took commitments, You um, know, they say, get commitments at re- meetings. Um, w- there was a period of time where we would go, um, I, we'd go to Serenity Sunday, and we would all go out to lunch after. That was a weird concept to me, you know, like, what? We're going to... Overeaters Anonymous to stop eating, then we're going to go eat together? Like, this is weird. But I remember, like, having to learn to eat with people. Like, I forget about these things, you guys. It makes me grateful to, like, talk about it now. I work in a job, I work in sales, and I, um, I take people to lunch. And you know what? It's, like, not a big deal today. Like, the food, I have that freedom from food that's the miracle of the program. And, um, but in the beginning it was so painful to eat with people like I remember I had to learn it was just I don't know why I didn't want it I wanted to eat in secret I didn't want people to see me eat and um and it's just it's just you know it's just interesting like I had to learn these things and I learned them in OA in OA meetings um I was, you know, I had this thing, I wanted to be with the cool crowd, but the cool crowd didn't want me, and uh, and I was taught, go up to somebody who looks like they're having a worse time than you. Go up to the person who's looks really lonely, ask them how they're doing, and... It was like such a concept. It was like, you know, I was little sneaky ways that sponsors and people were trying to get me out of my selfishness and get into other people because that's where recovery is. Like, disease is in my selfishness, recovery is in other people. So, um, and what's interesting is I apply that, like, to parties. I apply that to... Other social situations outside of meetings. It's like I've learned in the rooms kind of how to behave out there. And the other thing that was tricky was uh, buffets. You know, how do you do buffets? <laughs> well, there's there's two couple things. One is I want to highly recommend I think it's page a hundred, um, because and we were just reading it. Uh, there's this really cool little big book study I go to, and so it has my knows in the literature again. It's amazing how much I can forget the good stuff. Like, I have to keep reading this stuff because I forget. You know, they say we have diseases of forgetting. But anyway, uh, it says, "...both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress." If you persist, remarkable things will happen. And I would have this sponsor who'd, like, point out these words. What kind of things, Mary Pat? Remarkable things. Well, that's really cool. And um, when we look back, we realize the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. It's like, whoa, because I can plan really good, but, wow, they're saying... In God's hands, it'll be better than anything I can plan? Like, that's really exciting. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. I would take such hope from words like this, excerpts like this in the big book. Um, but then it says, la, 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 our rule is not to avoid a place where there is eating if we have a legitimate reason for being there. Um And it says, you will note that we made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need to have no apprehensive. Now, here was something really interesting to me. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. And then here was another thing I've underlined. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are shaky, you'd better work with another compulsive eater instead. Okay, thanks. So um, for me, that was huge because I used to think... I'm a loser if I don't show up at a certain function. And this was telling me, no, 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 you don't have to go. Go or stay away. There, you don't have to go. There's no win in going. Do whatever's best for you. And that was like, oh. And, you know, I sponsors talk about abstinence is the most important thing on the planet without exception. And they're like, Mary Pat, if all you do is stay abstinent and then you, you have to, like, dive in bed, that's a success. Like that's okay. Like I had to lower the bar of, you know, what was success. It was just incredible because where I came from, it's like no, no, I've got to be the superwoman, dude, da 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 da. And it's like nope, abstinence. You're abstinent. That's a success. It's like wow. So um, and then uh, think of what you will. You know, it's like so many times. It's like who am I going to meet? What am I going to get? But it's like no, reverse. It's like who? How can I be of service? who's going to look like they're having a terrible time at this party, how can I go, you know, it, it just flips things so much when I, when it's not about what can I get, but it's about what can I give, and, um, uh, yeah, well, anyway, so, um, there was something, else. all right, buffets, one plate, I was taught, have one plate, and then that's it, that's your meal it's like oh okay and that sometimes I'd mound that plate up but guess what it was one plate so these things were like victories along the way um so about eight years in finally the miracle kicked in and I was able to start stringing together uh, abstinence from sugar and by this time I'd struggled with it so much that I did treat sugar like skull and crossbones poison for me it's poison And uh, I told this story before, but it got to laugh, so I'm going to tell it again, but probably you won't laugh now. But anyway, it's like that movie Indiana Jones, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Indy and Marion are like, um, they're tied back to back. And Indy says, you know, that the people are going to unearth the thing that's going to zap everyone. He's like, don't look at it, Marion, don't look at it. And for me, that's how I have to treat food, you know. So if I go into a restaurant, sometimes they have a nice glass case with lots of sweets. Sometimes it's like, don't look at it, Mary Pat. Don't look at it. Look away. And you know what? These little silly things help. Um, because if, sometimes I can stare lovingly at a, something that looks, and it can start, crazy things so I'm just like you know what you don't it, these little things can help so um, and and I think for me just having that it's, it's a day at a time it is you know the person that got up the earliest is the person with the most abstinence here um, but that said that, that last bite of cake that I had was January 11th of 2002 and that's a, a miracle for me so wow that's like 20 years holy holy chamoly but um it's a day at a time and i pray to god that i keep that fear that i just keep that fear of oh my god if i if i ever think that i can have one bite i just it drug me over the coals for so long you know what i mean so it's like once you get it back but i just want to say to anyone who's struggling don't leave before the miracle happens and the miracle will happen if you keep coming back keep coming back um and then lastly uh just higher power is just you know it's all about higher power it's all about surrender um full disclosure i'd recently just gone through i just was kind of you know the food thank you god um i'm abstinent but my spiritual and emotional life was going off the beam i was giving way too much power to some people in a work situation, that I was making them my higher power, I was completely forgetting about being of service on my job, and um, through writing and you know I just and I was clinging on to my will, and I clung on I've clung on to my will a lot, and um, it's it's it was killing me, it was killing me, and it brought me to a new bottom of of surrender out of desperation and. So if we ever hear, like, there's, uh, we wish upon you the gift of desperation. So it's like, I have to surrender these other areas in my life. Because sometimes the food will start to look good. And it'll start with a few extra crunchy chips or, you know. and, And I'm just like, I am afraid to go back to that. But surrender, there's just been this miracle. I just feel like this last week I've really been working on turning my life over to my higher power again like nobody's business, uh, upping my, I had gotten real lazy with my morning prayer and meditation and started doing that again. Um, and it's just made a difference. And showing up, like uh, reading Daily Readers and showing up at work and saying, how can I share joy? Like I was so focused on a couple of people that I was so irked with. You know, they were, they were wronging me. And, uh-uh, you know, I I go there as a compulsive eater, you know, it says resentments will kill me, somewhere between page 60 and 70, it says that, and um, I feel like I was just really seeing that, that resentments will slowly take me out, it will take me to a point where sometimes I think, you know, just really dark places, and the God way, and the way we learn in program, and in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh it just, it it's a way, uh, it brings us, it gives us an opportunity to have peace and serenity in our life. And the other thing I'm seeking is like joy. You know, people are like, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've gotten out of touch. I I really don't know. And you know what? So I'm kind of in that inquiry. If anyone has any fun suggestions, you can let me know. But anyway, um, so I'm just uh, really grateful um, this has been like I said it's just been a miraculous program uh, this program led me to some other programs I'm in a total of three now and and they all uh, there's miracles in, in all of them but um, I just uh, reach out a hand you know you're not alone there is hope here there's amazing hope and wherever anyone is is, is at um if they're struggling, you will get abstinent. Just don't give up, and and just dive into the program. So thanks for letting me share. Does anyone have any questions? Oh. Anyone? Any questions? Oh yes. Thank you, Mary Pat. It sounds like your dreams changed, maybe. Uh, Your dreams in life changed, you know, once you got into program, and I was wondering, um, like, did program reveal to you what you wanted in life, or um, did uh, did you work your program to help you pursue new dreams? That is an amazingly great question. God planted you there. The the question is, uh, did program lead me to my dreams, or has it Shown the way to what my dreams are is that the question um, mm-hmm. you know what uh the truth is, no, I had a dream, I have a dream, I thought it was my dream, and that dream isn't being realized, and this was one of my beefs towards God. Mm-hmm. I was really mad at God, like what do you mean how could i how could I not have this dream. I thought it was my destiny. You know, I was really convinced. So a lot of my recent surrender is going, okay, God, this dream isn't happening. I'm not happy with it. I really wanted you to come in and wave your magic wand. And like, you are God after all, and you do (laughs) perform miracles, right? And you have performed miracles. So I don't really get why, you know, I kind of felt dropped by God. But I, it's forcing me to a deeper surrender of maybe there's something else. And can I be open? It? Can I trust that a loving higher power has my back? Because that's what I have been taught by people. That, you know, we all have, even if we can't see it, there is each of us has a loving higher power who just really wants the best for us. So maybe, even though I can't see it, there's one of two things. Either maybe that dream was going to lead me to some other painful things, or maybe there's another dream that's going to come out of, sometimes we're taught that out of our pain, like maybe I'll get to be of service more by sharing the process of not having that particular dream and how it brought me closer to God, etc. So I don't know if that answers your question. More will be revealed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tune in. Yeah, time, right? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh.